Luke chapter 2, let's begin reading at verse 8, shall we? In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, Lord, we thank you for your presence today. Thank you for this special occasion that we can celebrate you in a unique way. And I ask now as the word of the Lord goes forth that you will open our hearts, that we may hear and receive not so much what the pastor is going to say, but we will hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches to you, and I pray special blessing upon them today. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. And I particularly pray for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. Lord, at this special season of the year, I pray that the greatest gift of all for our families would be given, and that is that they would return to you. They would surrender their lives to you. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray all of these things in that most wonderful name of all, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Anytime I begin a message by reading a text as familiar as the one we have just read today, I immediately have to deal with two very common reactions. The first reaction is where the congregation just kind of settles back and puts their brain in neutral and prepares to coast because you've heard this before. The story is familiar. The plot is predictable. We already know the outcome. We've heard this story every year at the same time. So this is a good morning to take a nap. <laughs> the second reaction is where we try to put all the people of the Christmas story into a little box that reads Christmas cards. And we've all seen those cards with their soft halos glowing around the Christ child and the mother and the father. We've seen the pastoral settings dusted with glitter. We've seen the friendly beasts and the regally clad wise men with their expensive gifts and the rough, dirty shepherds and the winged angels with trumpets. All seems rather ethereal, otherworldly. When we think like that, it's very easy for us to feel far removed from the story and then miss the impact it can have on our present world of disappointment and struggle. I mean, here we are the day before Christmas. During this season, I've been talking to you about some of the signs of Advent found in the Bible to let us know Messiah is coming. And right at the very beginning of this message, I want to ask you to try and resist both of those reactions I've just described to you. While I don't pretend to have any great new revelation I do believe the Lord has something to say in this message that will speak to us at the point of our need. I believe he wants to speak to your heart 
about something that might not be the predictable thing you would normally expect to hear from the story of Christmas. In the text we read just a moment ago, we hear the angels as they proclaim to shepherds on the hillside that a Savior is born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And what I want to do today is I want to narrow the focus to verse 12, where the angel says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths or swaddling clothes, the King James says, lying in a manger. Most people just read past that part of the story because we've heard it so many times before and we have this preconceived image of, in our mind of what that looks like probably from some children's pageant with boys clad in their dad's old bathrobe. But there are a number of questions just begging to be asked about this statement. When the angel says, this will be a sign unto you, questions like, what kind of sign is this? I mean, it's not unusual for a baby to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. In fact, That was very normal in that culture, to wrap a newborn in strips of soft linen cloth. Even today, we swaddle newborns. But why would the baby be in a manger? And of all the mangers in Bethlehem, how do the shepherds know where to look? Which manger? And how is a baby wrapped in strips of linen cloth, lying in a manger, how is this a sign that the promised Messiah has come? What kind of a sign is a baby in a manger? What I want to emphasize to you in this message today is that this is no ordinary sign. These are no ordinary shepherds. The sheep they are tending are no ordinary sheep. This is no ordinary manger. Bethlehem is no ordinary town, and this is no ordinary baby. One of the distinguishing features of temple worship was the great many animal sacrifices that were required. The most familiar of those sacrifices was the sacrifice required during the time of the Passover, when each worshiper was to offer a firstborn lamb without spot or blemish. The Feast of Passover was one of three feasts when the law required attendance at the house of worship. So at Passover, Jews would travel from all over the known world to Jerusalem. You can imagine how difficult it would be to travel a long distance in those days carrying a sacrificial lamb. Even if you you did manage to get to the temple with your animal, there was no guarantee your sacrifice would pass the inspection of the priest and be an acceptable offering. In addition to the individual offerings, there were many other sacrifices of lambs offered on the great altar in the normal course of temple worship. All of those sacrifices meant there was a need for a lot of lambs. The town of Bethlehem lies about four miles from Jerusalem. The flocks of sheep being kept in the Bethlehem fields were no ordinary sheep. Rather, they were temple flocks being kept for offerings of worship. These were important sheep. They had to be closely watched and guarded. Nothing must happen to these animals, which were to be then offered in sacrificial worship. They had to be protected. Not only were the flocks watched and guarded to keep them secure, but in order to be acceptable as sacrificial lambs, they could not be injured. They had to be ceremonially 
clean. With this in mind, there was a special place prepared for the ewes to give birth. Overlooking the Bethlehem fields was a stone structure called Migdal Adar, the Tower of the Flock. This was a watchtower used by the shepherds for protection from their enemies and from wild beasts. It was also the place the ewes were brought to give birth to the lambs. The shepherds who kept these temple flocks were men specifically trained for this royal task. They were educated in the requirements for a sacrificial animal. These shepherds were known as Kohanim and were themselves part of the priestly family. It was their job to ensure that none of the animals were hurt, damaged, or blemished. In order to keep the lambs acceptable as sacrifices, they would maintain a ceremonially clean stable for a birthing place. Instead of simply allowing the lambs to be dropped on the ground in birth, the Kohanim would catch the lamb coming out of the womb to prevent it from hitting the floor and suffering a potential injury. Then they would wash the lamb. They would wrap clean strips of soft linen cloth around the limbs of that animal to protect it from injury. Then the lamb would be carefully placed on the stone floor of the birthing stall. This work of tending the temple flocks was more than a job for these Kohanim priestly shepherds. It was a sacred trust to guard and care for the sacrificial lambs. When the angels appeared to the shepherds in the middle of the night and told of the birth of a baby who was to be found wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, they didn't hesitate. The Bible says they came with haste. And they didn't have to think about where they were supposed to go. You know, there were many mangers in Bethlehem, but they didn't have to search one stable after another looking to find the right one. They knew exactly where to go. These were men who knew the scriptures. These were men who understood something about sacrifice and salvation. The picture the angels painted for them was something they had seen hundreds of times. A newborn sacrificial lamb wrapped in strips of linen in soft cloth lying in a manger. They knew where to go. When those shepherds left their flocks on the hillside, it wasn't just any baby they were going to see. Oh, no. They were going to see, first of all, a fulfillment of promise. They were going to see the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, where God spoke to the serpent and said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. They went to see the fulfillment of Psalm 132. 11. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body, I will set upon your throne. They went to see the fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. They went to see the fulfillment of Isaiah 9 and 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. They went to to see the fulfillment of, Jer- of Jeremiah 23 and 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. They went to see the fulfillment of Micah 5 too. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. You know, most of us remember the promise that
that tells the town in which the Messiah is to be born. We even sing the carol about it, right? Oh, little town of... Thank you. But there is another promise that is even more specific as to the place. These shepherds went to see the fulfillment of Micah chapter 4, verse 8. As for you, watch this, as for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come, even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. See, when the angel proclaimed the one who would be the sacrifice that would bring salvation was being born was wrapped in swaddling clothes, was lying in a manger. There was no question in the minds of these Kohanim about where they were to go. They were good to go what Micah 4.8 says, the tower of the flock, Migdal Adar, that's where sacrificial lambs are born. And that's why years later, John the baptizer would see him coming down the embankment into the Jordan River to be baptized, and he would exclaim, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. I want to tell you, it was no accident Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. And Jesus proclaimed in John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. When these shepherds saw that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, they didn't just see a sacrificial lamb. They saw the bread of life lying in a feeding trough in the house of bread. No wonder they were so willing to leave their place of duty and responsibility. This sacrificial lamb was the ultimate sacrifice for all the sin of the entire world. This was the longed-for Messiah. This was the fulfillment of promise. Not only did the shepherds go to Migdal Adar to see a fulfillment of promise, they also went to see a forceful presence. See, this wasn't just a baby. This was the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one of Israel, the hope of the ages. He was the one who would forever alter the course of history. He was the one whose birth would be the dividing line of history. He was the bringer of a new covenant. When those shepherds looked into the manger, they didn't just see a baby. They saw the one before whom angels bow. They saw the one before whom demons tremble. They saw the one who is the answer to every part of the human equation. See, to the question of sin, he is the savior. To the question of sorrow, he is the comforter. To the question of bondage, he is the deliverer. To the question of despair, he is the hope. To the question of sickness, he is the healer. To the question of darkness, he is the light. To the question of hunger, he is the bread of life. To the question of thirst, he is the water of life. To the question of fatigue, he is the burden bearer. To the question of defeat, he is the victory. To the question of death, he is the resurrection and the life. These shepherds knew what the sacrifice of a spotless lamb could accomplish at Passover. How much more could the sinless lamb of glory accomplish at Calvary? When the shepherds heard the angel song about a Savior being born in Bethlehem, they understood something we need to remember today. The reason God sent Jesus to this world was not so that we could buy presents, wrap them in pretty paper, place them under a tree, and attend parties, and drink eggnog, and sing Christmas carols, and send cards with pictures of angels with trumpets, and wise men with gifts, and baby in a stable with a halo around his head. The reason God sent Jesus to this world was not so the stores could have a larger profit margin and people could dress up in their holiday finery and throw parties where everybody has too much to eat and too much to drink. 
And where we've changed the focus of the season to a jolly old man with a white beard and a red suit who rides around in a sleigh pulled by flying reindeer. <laughs> but the reason God sent Jesus was told by the angel Gabriel to Joseph. And you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. The reason God sent Jesus was proclaimed by the angelic host to Kohanim shepherds keeping watch over their temple flocks at night when they sang, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. The reason God sent Jesus is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the message of Christmas. Through Jesus, we are saved. Saved from the wrath of a holy God. Saved from the wrath that is to be visited on all who reject God and his son Jesus. And that's what we proclaim in this season of the year. Unto you is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. When those shepherds looked into that manger and saw Jesus wrapped in strips of soft linen cloth, they saw the sign of the sacrificial lamb. They saw him as a forceful presence. They saw the truth of John 14 and 6, where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. They saw the truth of Acts 4 and 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. I'm telling you, only the Lamb of glory has that kind of power to save. He's not just a baby in a manger. Oh, no. He's a forceful presence, able, able to save whosoever will. When the shepherds went to Migdal Adar, the tower of the flock, they went to see a fulfillment of promise. They went to see a forceful presence. And finally, I want to tell you, they went to see one who is forever preeminent, Chapter 1 of the Gospel of John tells about his preeminence when the apostle writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14 of that chapter continues and says... And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 talks about his preeminence when the apostle Paul writes, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he himself might come to have first place in everything. His preeminence is recorded in the last book of the Bible. Revelation 19.6 tells us, then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. He continues in verses 11 through 16 and writes, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. 
And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want to tell you, that's who the shepherds saw that night at Migdal Adar. That's why the angels called him Lord. That's why the shepherds worshiped him. It's because Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord over disease. Lord over suffering. Lord over addiction. Lord over adversity. Lord over poverty. Lord over depression. Lord over the past. Lord over things present. Lord over things to come. Lord over heaven. Lord over earth. Lord over angels. Lord over demons. Lord over death. Lord over the devil. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Somebody ought to give him praise in this house today. Hallelujah. Jesus was born in the very place where tens of thousands of lambs whose sacrifice prefigured his coming were born. God promised it, pictured it, and performed it at Migdal Adar, the tower of the flock. Jesus was God's perfect lamb. John the baptizer proclaimed, behold the lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle Peter spoke of our redemption being wrought by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Apostle Paul told us that Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The first fulfilled type by which Christ is revealed in heaven is told in the book of the Revelation when he is revealed as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. What I want you to see today before we get out of here is not just that Jesus is the Savior of the world, but that Jesus comes to your heart and your life in this season because he wants to be your Savior. Won't you see him the way the shepherds saw him? And won't you respond to him the way they responded? They hastened to his side. They surrendered their lives in worship. And when it was time to leave, verse uh, verse 20 of Luke chapter 2 says, and the shepherds returned. They returned to their work. They returned to life and living. The sheep still demanded their attention. The Roman government was still in power. They faced the same concerns, the same issues, the same difficulties. Their world was essentially the same. Uh, But they were different. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as he had told them. And I can promise you today, when the lights are extinguished, When the tree's been taken down, when the gifts have been opened and the wrapping paper has been discarded, and the decorations have been put back in storage, 
when the relatives have pulled out of the driveway When the Christmas season is over, you may very well find yourself facing some of the same issues as before. But if you'll embrace the Christ of Christmas, if you'll respond to his invitation to surrender your life to him, your world may not be much different, but you will be different. And that, and that will make all the difference in the world. Stand with me, please. Let's bow together, shall we? You know, as far as I know, Everybody that comes into this house is already a follower of Jesus, already surrendered your life to him. But it's possible that I'm talking to somebody either in this house or online, and maybe, maybe you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. Or maybe you've walked with Jesus very closely at one time, but, but maybe things have just kind of slipped. You haven't turned away from him, but you're not really walking close to him like you know you're supposed to. I can't think of a better time than right now for there to be a turnaround and you to come back to the Lord Jesus and surrender completely to him. And I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand I'm not going to ask you to do any kind of outward visible sign to me because it's not about making the pastor feel good by having a lot of people respond. It's really about what's going on in your heart and your life and your relationship with the Lord. There's nothing wrong with coming forward, nothing wrong with raising a hand, nothing wrong with, a, with repeating a prayer. It's just that today, I just want this to be something that is very personal in your own heart. Somebody just needs to look to the Lord in the quietness of this moment and say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. Come into my heart. Change me from the inside out. I've been walking away from you today. I'm turning around and walking toward you. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse my life. Make me part of your forever family. So Lord Jesus, I pray for those people that are doing that right now in their own heart. I ask that you will touch them and that you will give them, you will give them the courage to make that surrender, even now. In Jesus' name, I thank you for that. Yeah. Jesus, 
be born in me. Jesus, be born in me. And make my life what it should be. Jesus, be born in me. Would you make that your prayer today? Jesus, be born in me. Jesus, be born in me. And make my life what it should be. Jesus, be born in me. I want to sing it one more time. Somebody's doing that now in your heart. Jesus, be born in me. Make it your prayer. Come on, sing it to him. Jesus, be born in me and make my life what it should be. Jesus, be born. 